0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.
1: Hi, welcome to the Belief Series where I interview people about their beliefs and their values. The people I'm choosing so far to interview are people that I think will have thought about their beliefs. They will have had to decide on their values and perhaps they're often reconsidering them. We all do it something at our job, something our kids do will make us stop and think. But for some, perhaps it's an everyday thing. Take Kathy Wilcox, political cartoonist for The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. Every day she sits down with ink and wash and pencils and brush and has to consider what she thinks. What really is her reaction to the news of the day? What does she think? What does she think we're thinking? Kathy Wilcox has won three Walkley Awards for her cartoons. She's won Stanley Awards for her work, and they're the awards given by her peers. The Museum of Australian Democracy has three times named her Cartoonist of the Year, but she's also twice won the Australian Children Book Council's Picture Book of the Year. I felt like I knew Kathy. we'd met quite a bit, we both had children at a children's choir 20 years ago, but this conversation went into areas I knew nothing about. She is one of those people who only speaks her truth and her story. We began, though, by bantering. Hello. Hello. This is the official beginning of an interview with Cathy Wilcox.
0: I think it's an interview.
1: Oh, I see. So you believe you should correct people during the <laughs> sentence? do you? <laughs> if, that...
0: if you think it might just slightly annoy them, yeah,
1: yeah, mm, go yes, right see, ahead. I see, I think wait, <laughs> wait until the conversation has perhaps reached a pause and then uh. suggest that the article there should have been... And no, okay. yeah. no 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 yeah, you yeah. like, like yeah. to interrupt. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: It depends how well I know the person.
1: <laughs> Are you a pedant?
0: Uh, I'm a reformed pedant. What changed? You? Oh look I don't I don't know how how much of a pedant I was <laughs> but uh, I did have a, a a moment of epiphany when my uh, when I was f- not long with my husband like when we were just you know boyfriend bf and gf and we had been to my parents' place for lunch. And my mum, was a, she was an early adopter of technology or so she felt. She was always the one who had the new sound system and she was very excited about that. And she would have listened heavily to the, to the salesperson. I don't think she was doing a whole lot of research elsewhere, but she would tell you what she knew about things. But there was a time when we came away from this lunch and, and, and my then boyfriend said, uh, your mum, that wasn't right what she was saying about that, such and such. And I said, oh, well, why didn't you say anything at the time? And he said, because it wasn't important.
1: <gasps> He's good.
0: It was not important that he be right. Yes. And it was not a thing that it mattered whether my mother was correct or not about it. And that was such a, a revelation. And and it actually ends up, you know, being a, a defining feature, I think, of, of the person that I
1: married. She picked up on my technique.
0: How this is t- like a psych session, isn't it? Because... W- you know, we started on whatever I brought into the room, which was a, yeah. <laughs> a grammatical niggle that was partly playful. and yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yes. In fact, she is quite right. I'm often very happy to start with whatever someone has just said. It's often completely revealing and fascinating. It got us the anecdote about her husband's admirable restraint, right? That story led me to ask her about her ability to judge and know who someone is. Is she good at it?
0: My, my life has suggested to me that I'm incredibly susceptible to charm. Mm. I'm now deeply suspicious of charm, but I'm still susceptible to it. And so if you're susceptible, that doesn't that doesn't make you a very good judge, good of, judge character, of character, does it? It means does, that you're just ready to be taken for a ride, which I have say, been.
1: Does it say that you you believe people? You believe them on face value as such? You, you, you start with an aspect of trust. You start with the sense that this is more likely to be a good person than a bad person.
0: Yes, yes, uh, uh, yeah, definitely. What's more, I actually think that's not an uncommon state of being. Mm. And I think time and time again, also even, you know, through my my work as a political cartoonist, Jams, And in watching leaders rise and campaigns go on and so forth, I think broadly speaking, many people are very inclined to say, oh, but they seem like a nice person. And they can discard a whole lot of nasty facts that are laid out in front of them and instead go with their feeling, their gut feeling that, well, they seemed like a nice person. And follow that.
1: I mean, is it interesting how many people will say, oh, I don't trust politicians. They're just out for all they can get. I don't trust them at all. They're a bunch of bastards. Can't stand them. He seems really nice, though. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I know.
0: I know. You know, what's that expression of of, uh, hope over experience? You know? And yet, we need to do that as humans. We need to do that because, because this, you know, cynicism. I mean, we might be getting too far into the into the belly of the conversation here to be, to already be hitting on that. But to determine that that nobody can be trusted anyway and they're all hopeless, it's a it's a on the one hand, it's a kind of a disengagement as well. It's a you you ceasing to, to to actually do the work of mm. of, you know, measuring and and listening and determining, you know, on the basis of, of what you can, you know, of the basis of
1: the facts such yeah. as you can yeah. uh, well, uh, gather mean, them. The facts as I, I see them is that I believe we're basically functioning on trust all the time. We trust that the, the, the post will arrive. We trust that this $20 bill is a $20 bill. We Absolutely. trust that the person in front of me is more likely to keep on moving than yeah. suddenly veer off and, and stop suddenly. You know, like that's what happens 98% of the time. Suddenly someone cuts, me in, you know, cuts in on the traffic well, that's only 1% of the, of the year, mm. you know. It's not mm. the thousand other journeys where everybody was cooperating and operating on, on, on trust.
0: Mm. And I guess that's where you find your sort of, you know, the, the human barometer, isn't it? That's sort of like if you're ready to see that that, that – Person cutting in on you is just part of a whole, a whole operating system of people who are working against you to make your day really shitty and all that sort of thing. People today, look at them,
1: people look today. At them. They don't pay any regard.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I like to actually observe my barometer from from outside of it. And go if I'm thinking, oh, I just had this thought about you know people. Oh, there used to be. Um, I used to have a little walk. I used to park in Darling Harbour when Fairfax was at, in the building in Sussex mm. Street, and so I had a regular parking, parking thing, and I'd walk across the Piermont Bridge hmm. to work, nice. and and you know be it known that my working hours are just. Delightful! You are a person who who knows about having having or having had cruisy working yeah. hours, except now you've got to get up in yeah. in the middle of the night. Um, but uh, so I would be walking along, sort of mid morning, crossing the bridge to go to my workplace, and it is a place where there's quite a lot of pedestrian traffic and quite a lot of tourist traffic as well. You know, you'd sort of see who the travellers because they're in that part of town and then and Darling Harbour, if you can imagine back back. That long ago, I don't know, ten years ago, there there was a bit more going on down there as well. But I would notice my my feelings about people as I passed them. That I would make kind of you know in my head, I'd make judgments about them and and dislike them for something or whatever. Or that person is you know they look stupid. Look at them doing that. and I started to be able to to uh, tell that that was a little bit of a gauge of how I was feeling that day. Right. Because there would be days when I loved, loved humanity, loved them all. and days when I when I really didn't. And I thought, okay, well, just put that in your pocket and keep keep you know keep that in mind as for whatever other encounters I have in the day, how I how I read it.
1: So it was time to get into the meat of it. She's a political cartoonist. She considers what the politicians are doing every day. What does she believe about politics? And she starts by invoking a classic statement.
0: I'm pretty much on, on par with um, or in agreement with Donald Horn about the, the lucky country with second-rate leaders. We are so bereft of true leadership and I have come to believe that that leadership is really, it's really all. <laughs> it, it, is, it is, you know, like at the moment we just somehow manage to get by on the trust, like you say, of the fact that there's all these other people who kind of keep – they keep pedalling. They keep the wheels turning so things function kind of, you know, like you can, car- can trust that the thing is still functioning. Mm. But, you know, in a in a much bigger way, the trouble with the polity and the, the politics of, the, of our country is that we don't see enough examples of good leadership, of – true leadership which is that sense of people bringing people along with them of people showing the way and so we keep on ending up with reactive leadership or worse than that the leadership that is built entirely on pe- pe- you know people's personal uh, ego and ambition and and haven't we seen that you know, well, how successful is that?
1: I don't know. I can't think of an example. You can't think of any examples um, of that. So does that suggest that So you've, you've had a lifetime of political cartooning and of, of observing this kind of thing. I'm assuming you didn't go in with that belief. What did you believe about politics at, at the entry point?
0: I don't know if I – oh, I suppose I, I, I was much more glib when I went in. And so, you know, leaders were all just sort of buffoons. Or you know, politicians were all buffoons, and it you know you could could think that. Um, I've actually got a much more forgiving attitude to them, or much less. Like I am actually inclined to give them much more benefit of the doubt as humans, and go. Yes, it would be an awful job. Who would want that job to stand up there at the head and be the person that they that everyone chucks the tomatoes at and, yeah. and you know and says all the things about and runs the dirt files about and stuff. But I think in you know early times of doing political cartoons, I think I was a pipsqueak who had no idea I had you know values on issues and I was better at doing cartoons that were about about issues about which I felt to have some understanding, but I didn't have any understanding particularly about the about the people. And I still am – I'm not actually a very good political thinker, right. <laughs> I don't think. I actually see it much more from as an outsider than an insider. Yeah. And accept that I can only go on what I see, you know, and read and research and whatever. You know, I, I try to understand it. But if something seems unfair to me, then I feel – that it's reasonable to call it as unfair.
1: So would you would you believe that your role as the political cartoonist is to, in a sense, articulate what people are thinking or what people some people might think? I suppose I was thinking of, I can't name them, I can sort of see the cartoons and maybe they're in the New York Times or something like that, quite complex American cartoons, yeah. and cartooning, which seems to be sort of saying we know intricacies here of the American politics and we're revealing it in our drawings and, and commentary, whereas I think you're often just saying, gosh, that seems a bit stupid, which is what, <laughs> I, what I might say about, about a particular policy or, yeah, well, that, that'd be why that's happening. It's, it's a more straightforward kind of expression of how people would be feeling about a particular issue at a time.
0: Yeah, I approach it with the keys that I have that I use to understand things. So if my keys are, are to try and understand someone's like psychological motivations for doing things, you know, that that's that fascinates me. So why is this person acting like this and what is it what does it do for them and, and all that sort of thing? You know, that's sometimes the way to come at things.
1: Kathy has two children and a few years ago one of them came to her and said that they believed they needed to question their gender and that they might be trans. Mm. I asked Kathy if she wanted to speak about what that experience has made her believe about gender and she began in a very unexpected place.
0: I'm a big believer in learning, <laughs> in yeah. learning as you yeah. go, you know, and taking on board things that you learn about your experience. So I had had the experience 20 years ago of having a bit of a, of a breakdown. Of you know being overwhelmed at the responsibilities of of a, of a second child and not having enough support and my I think my mum was ill at the time and a friend best friend moved away and there were a whole lot of things that that led to me having insomnia and kind of you know falling apart a bit and feeling feeling very isolated so I went to a, a psychologist and did quite some years on the, on the couch as it were, you know, in the chair, you know, trying to understand and not just to feel better in that moment but to understand who I was and why I was and all that sort of stuff and I understood that in terms of a, an identity crisis. It was a, I don't know who I am anymore. I am being responsible for for, you know, for keeping a, baby fed and getting up in the night and looking after my family and doing all these things but I don't know who I am and and I think this is a very common thing Ooh. that happens especially to people who have uh who, whose identity is through their work or through their creativity and suddenly they have to kind of put that on hold and they become this other thing and they lose they lose track of of, of themselves so having had that experience of the sense of identity crumbling and i felt that it was it was at the same time or similar time uh, not long after the the twin towers came down Ooh. and i was actually having dreams of standing on top of one of those buildings and the building falling away underneath me added to which i had a a belief in god that also crumbled at that time so that was a complete it was a real you know it was kind of wow. big <laughs> In the big. belief
1: series, you're talking about two major beliefs yeah. that, were, that were that crumbled.
0: You yeah, say. so yeah. major beliefs that, that crumbled. And so I understood then through the process of, of psychotherapy and psychoanalysis that I was then having to put the pieces of me back together again and better understand what was me and what was not me, what was the the, the parts of me that were... Given to me by, you know, say we're all we're all we're all kind of given a, a a role and a character and whatever by by, say, your family and the people around us who say, well, you're always that, and that's what you'll be and all the yeah. rest of it. And when you have this identity crisis, you get the marvelous opportunity of of going, actually, no, that's not me. That's what they think I am, but I'm not that. So it was a really, you know useful experience. Absolutely. And so, even though it was shocking to have a child come to me, my child come to me and say, I don't feel right in the body that I'm in and this is not me, even though that felt shocking and, and for a mother to perceive that their child who they feel is, who they've just observed, you know, you know, like idly gone, they're so perfect. They're so perfect. I mean, we think we, you know, when you look at your children, yeah. you know, here they are, what a marvel and i don't mean like like you know a precious princess type of no, no. type of sense no, i mean you know but moment. it's just a miracle yeah. and you look at their and, and their 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 young bodies and they don't know how how kind of gorgeous they are and how i don't know anyway yeah. all the potential and all that you've yeah, also yeah. that all that you've put in there so to have that that coming from a child so there was one aspect for which i could definitely feel like the the shock for myself of what my child was saying to me, but from another I could also understand it in terms of that identity crisis right. Right. and I could see. So here is my child saying all the things I thought were certain are not anymore. I don't know who I am. And I could totally understand that, right. that having been through my own identity crisis right. and I understood that it was this, therefore, this child needs, needs help to get back on to finding who they are, and if that who they are happens not to be who who I thought they were, that is not their problem. Yeah, and I can't make their crisis my problem. Uh, so,
1: what you was know, your belief about gender up until that point?
0: I had already had experience of knowing a few transgender people. Like I had a, a colleague at work mm. who had, you know, that's the only that's the only identity in which I'd known them that everybody, you know, kind of whispered that that person was transgender back when right. it was a thing that was whispered about. Uh, whispered about. And then there was somebody who I witnessed through their transition who I just knew sort of incidentally from my local gym mm. and got talking with them and had a remarkably short short time before this all happened with my own child. This other person, I was having, I was having coffee with them one day and I could – you know how you reflect back on what you're thinking at the time, or some people do, I do – I'm thinking, oh, you know, like I'm still hearing the, the, the voice in the gender that they were. Right. I'm still seeing the signs of what they were as opposed to who they are now. And then I kind of went, and that absolutely doesn't matter. It t- totally doesn't matter what I think or how I read them because what this person is doing is they're sitting there and they're being who they are. And her whatever, you know, clothes or makeup or whatever else is going on there, that's who they're being. Mm. And so it is not for me to, to assess whether they're being that uh, convincingly or successfully or anything like that because what I think actually doesn't have anything to do yeah. with it. And that was only, you know, like um, pff, maybe a month before this all happened with, with my yeah. child. Yeah. And so I was also able to just go, it's not about me and how I feel. I might have feelings and I might need help dealing with my feelings, but that is not for me to put on the child, my job as a parent. and I had this lovely moment with my with my mother who who's no longer with us, who I was terrified about telling her because I thought how is she going to take this? you know she's a she's a conservative woman and and uh, and you know has fixed ideas about things and so forth. and I thought how am I going to tell her but she came over to visit, sat in the chair that you're sitting in right now, and said, "And how is, blah, going with their HSC and all the rest of it?" And I said, "Oh, you know, HSC, that's not the half of it." And and I burst into tears, <laughs> and, and so that there, you know, there was no no choice. I had to I had to tell her. And the first thing that she said was, "You'll love your child, whoever they are." And it was it was a gift. It was such a, a such a gift of of. Uh, you know, embrace and grace and, and forgiveness and you know you're, yeah. you that yeah. you know you have a, a role and that's clear. So Fantastic. so um yeah so that's yeah. how I that's how I look on look on gender as yeah. as uh, I, I I'm curious like anyone is as to why are we going through this period now, and I think that it, that I am happy also to sit with not knowing. Like I I can't say I understand it but that's okay. I don't have to understand everything because I don't know what it feels like to be in somebody else's head and somebody else's body.
1: So powerful and what a beautiful belief from her mother. You'll love that child, whoever they are. But there was something else she said that I had to know more about. This is a series about belief. What does it mean? What does it feel like to lose a belief? A belief in God. For her, what was it like this lack of belief?
0: It was quite shocking, (laughs) you know, combined with those other things that were happening at the same time. It was, you know, kind of understanding what my belief had been as well, which was a certainty that there was a God who was kind of looking after me Mm. and I realised that that God also resembled the picture of the grandfather that I hadn't known that had been the, the you know had died before I was born, but he was in a nice pencil drawing on the wall at my grandmother's place, and my grandmother would always say he was up there in heaven, and he's looking down at us, and so I had that nice picture there of 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 the grandfather. So that's probably who God resembled.
1: God was a Christian God. God was an Anglican God, a Catholic uh, God.
0: What was- oh, I was brought up uh, Anglican, uh, and I and I suppose that my That my values, you know, probably more on the Christian side of things, in the Christian side of, of uh, you know, loving thy neighbour and and forgiveness and Mm. all those sorts of things, which are all which are all fine.
1: All good things. They're all good things. But God was there. You had no. But God was there. Was was
0: a sort of a you know, and then I then I read uh, uh, Bishop Shelby Spong, who (laughs) kind of he dismantled the deity in his book and he then spoke of and he, you know, he questioned the whole the fact of when Bible was written and the things people believed and the other people things people believed, but also the misuse of the the belief now, where people will then, you know, sort of say, well, and I had a I had a very influential relationship, which we haven't got time to go mm. into here, but a very influential re- relationship with with someone who was essentially fundamentalist and and would put across those views that if you got sick. That was, a, that was a failure of your belief. It was kind of, it was a, <laughs> it was a bit wicky-wacky and that's where you'd believe that if you, if you prayed that you had the power to make things happen. And when yeah. I was living in France, I still carried this, I, I thought that, you know, God was there helping me through and looking after me and solving mm. problems for me. And this moment to then go, okay, so the deity, as in daddy, God, kindly daddy, looking down over you, which of course doesn't fit very well with the smiting God of the Old Old Testament and all that sort of thing, if that daddy God is no longer there, uh, which my intellect had kind of come to the conclusion wasn't, then what is there? And while... Bishop Shelby Spong talked about a sort of a, a ground of all being and a connectedness and a spiritual thing like that. It didn't replace so easily for me mm. and was it, it like was a
1: pain was it like an absence? was it like a did you feel you had to find another belief or something to to fill it up?
0: um no i didn't I didn't feel like I had to find another belief, but it was a pain. It was an absence and it was a it was a quite you know it was a real dark night of the soul. I know mm. that's a you know a cliche, yeah. but it was a real being at night and trying to find if there was something that I could hang on to and I kind of found that the expression of grace was something that was still still there that kind of appreciating grace and when things you know when when you uh, receive forgiveness and kindness and generosity from people that grace or things you know uh, w- you know there's a kind of when you re- when you're yeah mm. the recipient of of kindness mm. that's pretty that's pretty damn good yeah. but the thing that i ended up concluding and i think and that's where i land we landed after all this is i was hap- i was okay with the loss of daddy god because it came it 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 made me understand that we are responsible we <laughs> there is only me who's responsible for me we are you know it's our decision it's our choice and all that sort of thing and and how nice to think, you know, it might have been to think that there was somebody else looking after me and so also if something went wrong I could go and it's them to blame and all the rest of it. But so long as I don't have that somebody looking after me, then I actually have to make my decisions and wear the consequences of my decisions and bad things might happen but, yeah. you know, that, that that's all mine. When encountering subsequently when looking for psychological support for my child, we encountered a... Um, therapist who said that they were Muslim and was that a problem and I had to kind of take a big breath and go only if (laughs) only if you see God as being a higher power than us here in this room and she answered I'm culturally Muslim but no, I do not believe. <laughs> and I said, okay, because I think, I think actually that that is, um, uh, you know, sorry for the people who are who – are, uh, I can see that faith, you know, it does a lot of good things mm. and having faith gives people a lot of strength and support and all that sort of thing. I just don't have it. And I think being responsible for ourselves is, is kind of – mm-hmm. it's the ultimate being grown up.
1: We finished off with some ranting about the state of contemporary media. We are both media workers after all.
0: We've lived in the best of times, James. I mean, you know, one can always think that. And also, if I were to say that, that things aren't as good as they were, then I would be repeating what centuries of people have said about things. You know, I, th- I have a feeling that's the perspective when you're going down the other side of the mountain. <laughs> the
1: other side of the city. It's funny, though, isn't it? Like, yeah. even though I can believe, I will believe that too, that whatever I say about young people today or to the modern world or whatever, yes, of course, I'm just being, you know, Archimedes said the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Aristotle yeah. said yeah, the same yeah. thing. All that sort of Shakespeare said the same thing except for modern media it's terrible social yeah. media is awful you know there's always something that you go no no but I'm right about this one this one's awful
0: <laughs> well i think yeah i think it is you know showing itself as capable of doing great damage and great damage to democracy you know if that's a if that's a thing that that matters mm. and i think it does it's it's been shown as a as a really powerful tool for undermining the trust that people have in their systems, and yeah. and, um, and undermining those systems at the same time, because it's one thing to to have misplaced trust in a in a bad system, but to have have the system destroyed at the same time, you know, and such that the mistrust is justified, that's a very precarious situation yeah, yeah. to be in.
1: Kathy Wilcox, thank you, thank you for sharing so much, thank you for you know talking so frankly on the on the belief series. Absolutely lovely. Thanks for letting me into the kitchen. It's a pleasure. (laughs) As you can hear, she dropped the microphone already. Next week, someone who often tells a gripping and emotional story without words. Author and artist, Sean Tan. When I see my kids draw, and they're little and they're just free. This is how you're meant to draw. It's just like, I'm doing this now, and it's like this. And, oh, wait a minute, no, it's not, it's this. And and then I'll try and draw with them, and I feel so stilted. It's terrible, you know? It's like the weight of, like, I'm going to work and that sense of, of not putting a foot wrong, doing the dance properly, and they're just going nuts on the paper. Yeah. Sean is the author of The Arrival, The Rabbits, The Lost Thing, and he's won every children's book and graphic award there is, and in a recent poll conducted by the BBC asking authors and publishers to establish the top 100 children's books of all time, Sean Tan was listed twice and was the only Australian. Headroom the belief series is written and produced by me along with Chloe McKenzie and Grant Walter. Original music Roy Valentine. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC
0: Listen app.